Hello, and welcome to a roundtable discussion on the Comic Book Page podcast. My name is John Mayer. In this episode, I'm joined by guests for a lively conversation on a topic we hope you'll find interesting. In this roundtable discussion, we're going to do something very different. First, we're going to talk about a movie that, in theory, is still in the theaters, if if we get this up fast enough. Uh, It's a movie that kind of came and went. Uh, We're also going to talk about an actual prose novel. I don't think we've ever done that on the Comic Book Page podcast. And we're going to talk about an actual Japanese manga, actually, the English version of a Japanese manga, because, well, I don't read Japanese. And my co-host for this episode, Kay Kellum, does not either. Correct, Kay? Correct, but in this case, I wish very much that I read Japanese because this is a book that started out as a prose novel in Japanese and then as manga in Japanese. And honestly, when I saw the movie trailer, I was interested. Then when I saw the really long movie trailer that was probably almost two minutes, I thought, wow, there's enough here to be a book. And when I went looking and I found out it started out life as a Japanese language novel, I thought, oh my god, that's fascinating. I wish I could read the original. We should probably go ahead and tell people what we're going to be talking about. Oh, but that feels like a spoiler. Well... With this episode, we're going to do very little at the beginning that's not spoilerish. Basically, talk people into going and consuming this story in its various formats, and then we're going to jump right into the spoilers. Because really, what I want to do here is not only talk about the story and the property, your stories, plural, because I think there's really kind of two here to talk about, but also how it's different between the different formats, the novel, the movie, the manga, because each of the different you know mediums has has a different way of expressing story and different things that come out, and there were some changes in the story between. But what we're going to be talking about is what started out as the novel All You Need Is Kill, or presumably there was a Japanese title for it, but I don't know what that is, so even if I did, I'd mispronounce it. And I am curious how close a translation that is, because in the manga version, there's a line in there that's similar but slightly differently worded, and I wondered, hey, wait. Is that the original title that would make more sense to me? I think the title lost a little in translation from whatever it was to to All You Need Is Kill. And I know people are thinking, but there's no movie in theaters named All You Need To Kill. And there's not. No, It's and, Edge of Tomorrow. And I will admit, when I went to my local bookstore and said, I would like to buy All You Need Is Kill, they gave me a very strange look. And when I said, but Tom Cruise is on the cover of it, they looked at me even stranger and said, do you know what you're talking about? Yes, I well, do. Part of what I want to discuss is the concept of what is a story, when does it cease being what it was and become something else? Because, again, this is something that started as a Japanese-language novel under some title that got translated or mistranslated to All You Need Is Kill as an English novel. It was then done, I believe, next as a Japanese manga. That's been translated and published by Viz as All You Need To Kill. All You Need Is Kill. All You Need Is Kill, which is, again, awkward enough that it had to have lost in translation. Yeah, It's very hard to say, which is why I find it hard to believe it's the perfect translation now put it that way and then it became the movie uh edge of tomorrow which uh you were telling me it sounds like they may consider retitling when it gets to dvd mm. or blu-ray i saw a survey that asked people 
would you have been more likely to go if it was titled something else and was asking for possible other titles? And that prompted me to wonder, would I have been more tempted to go to it? But I was curious about it pretty much from the outset. It had Pacific Rim looking combat suits, but Mm -hmm. they were sized down to the individual, which looked intriguing to me. I could tell it was a repetition of a battle day, which intrigued me also. And when I saw the very long version of the trailer, there was something about that longest version that just kept intriguing me as I'm hearing the lines of dialogue and I'm realizing this has got a lost story to it. And I could tell, okay, something seems to be out of order. At that point, I was pretty sure the same day is happening over and over, but I wasn't positive, and everybody keeps doing the whole Groundhog Day comparison. Well, I mean, the basic pitch from the uh, the trailer for Edge of Tomorrow, and it's accurate for all the different versions, is essentially you've got a guy who's dumped into combat, never having been in combat before. It's a quasi-futuristic kind of a thing. So like you said, they've got the, the robot mech suits somewhere between almost like an Iron Man, but more Pacific Rim. It's it's kind of like what they had, I think, in Aliens with the, the cargo kind of conveyor mm. you know, thing. It's it's clearly bigger than human, but, you know, again, it's it's combat armor. And, again, the Groundhog Day, it's, you know... You, you fight, you die, you repeat. And well, it stars Tom Cruise, so, I mean, the effects look good, the trailer was fun, I was curious about it, and when you said, hey, let's go see it before it la- gets out of the movie uh, theaters after a week, it's like, okay. Yeah, well, and on the back of the novel I picked up, which was the movie tie-in version, the reprint, it had hashtag live, die, repeat. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, if I were going to tweet about it, that is an appropriate hashtag to narrow it down to for, you know, I'm not sure what else I could think of. Well, in the show notes, I'm going to have the link to the novel, the, uh, the original English language version of the novel, the t- movie tie-in version of the novel, which I think the only difference is just the cover. To the best and, of and my the understanding, the, the cover and the price. Oh, of course. They they increased the price. No, they lowered the price for the movie tie-in. Oh, interesting. Didn't notice that. All right. So I'll have links to those and also to the manga and to uh, IMDb for the movie. Now, at this point, I think we're going to basically say we're going to go into spoilers. That sound fair? I I think so, because quite frankly, I I love discussing comparisons of films and novels, and in this case, the manga version, which tried very hard to stay true to the novel, but was limited to, I want to say, 96 pages, but because some of that's art and some of that's words, I'm not sure 96 pages is a fair Well, 96 number. comic book pages versus yeah. the novel was, I think, 265 pages. Now, I read the novel, then we saw the movie, then I read the manga, and I think you went in the same order, right? I went in the same order, and I'll say I'm a very slow reader when it comes to novels, and yet I burned through that one in about four and a half hours. I read that in three, three and a half hours, which even for me is fairly fast for a novel. It was a page-turner. It was well-written. If I did not know that it was not originally written in English, I would not have guessed that. 
the lead character there is a uh, about a 20-year-old Japanese man who's fresh out of school into the military because, well, we've been fighting this war for a while and he's going to go fight it. So raw recruit, gone through boot camp, that's about it. Now, of course, the lead in the movie was Tom Cruise, who's neither Japanese nor young. And there are a couple of places where the manga, I think, did a very good, true, faithful adaptation, albeit abbreviated and a little jumpy in places, whereas the movie made some major changes. The entire lead character was changed to fit Tom Cruise. It was in the book, there is a second or thirdary character uh, that's kind of a uh, a filmmaker or a documentary and photographer type, which is kind of what they merged the lead character into. Because in the movie, Tom Cruise is playing a major who's never seen combat, who, you, who, who prior to the war was in advertising, but his company went belly up because of the war and all that. So he's promoting the war so the soldiers can go fight it. Well, and he reminds me of the real-life people that I've heard military personnel say it's really hard to respect the guy who will give an order he would never take himself. Mm-hmm. And that's where this character starts out. Well, this character starts out in a very different way and place than uh, in the, the the one in the book. And while the specifics are very different, being dumped into combat essentially the day before a big battle, having no experience, they had that in common. Yes. So that comes down to at what point does the story stop being what the story was and become something else? I mean, clearly the movie was based on the book versus an ad- adaptation of the book. Whereas the manga was very much an adaptation of well, In the book, the main character seemed to want to be there. He yes. was not someone who necessarily would have gone into the military in peacetime, per se. But he was someone who, with the world being what it was, that was his choice. Whereas in the movie, we had a much more reluctant hero. Yes. And... That was not, I mean, that was just the first of many, many changes. Now, I expected there to be some, but the setting was uh, Tokyo and stuff in the book. It was uh, uh, essentially London and the surrounding area in the movie. In the movie, they moved the major battle scenes, the repetitive battle scenes, to Normandy, which when you consider that the movie basically released on, I believe, the 70th anniversary of uh, D-Day... And Normandy Fair enough. makes sense in that context. But in the book, all of the nations, the United States most notably, because that's where our female hero comes from, are rallying to help Japan because Japan provides one of the critical components for the battle gear. Essentially the super metal that makes it indestructible almost. So, in that respect, it makes a lot of sense that this is a united effort to defend Japan. But it's funny because I didn't feel moving the location really mattered that much. It didn't make it a different story. It didn't make it a different story until the final battle. The final battle had to play out differently because in the novel and in the manga, because basically the guys live in the same day. He gets to about 160 iterations of the day. And then finally the enemy says, we know who's causing us problems. Let's go attack him at the base. Whereas in the movie, they've got to go to, like, Paris or somewhere to go go deal with this. So that, to me, was a very big change in the story uh, mechanics and a bit in the plot line. Because, again, you've got a 
go get a team together, go fly them half, you know, to another, you know, not halfway across the continent, but you know, to another country, literally. It was an enormous change that changed how the enemy was operating, among yeah. other things. And I think that's part of why it rubbed me the wrong way, and I don't really feel the wrong way is the way I want to phrase it, but in the book, I really liked that, you know, in that first iteration, he saw one of his buddies die, and in the second iteration, he tried to save his buddy, and he died. And he realized at the last second, wait, I think they just aimed for me. Well, because what happens, just to get a little more into the specifics, because I think it kind of matters, is he dies that first day and gets kind of soaked in the enemy's blood, tying into their neurology, and apparently they're set up as a hive mind where when one of their generals, if you will, which is who he had killed, dies, they're able to send a message like 30 hours into the past, reset, try again, making them almost impossible to defeat. Well, and to me, and I know my understanding isn't what the author intended, but for me, it felt like every reset was like he was living through their simulations. Well, if you look at the afterword of the book, and I know you did. Yeah, I loved the afterword. Basically, the author was saying he played video games. What would it be like if you went through a war actually like that? Every so often you hit the reset and you've got to play through the same level. And they played with that concept very effectively in the novel and in the uh, in the movie. And in the manga, I thought it worked pretty well because you would see the same events, but the guy was writing on his hand the number of iterations he'd been through. Yeah, yeah. and in the book, the, he was doing that and it was talked about a few times. And in the manga, it was mentioned once or twice in the dialogue, but it was in the art consistently. And I really liked it in the manga because of that. And that was an aspect of the story that was just not there in the movie at all. Exactly. It was invisible. You you had to be consciously aware of, now, how many iterations have we gone through? Because there wasn't that subtle counter going on. They played with some of the same concepts and stuff in the movie, but in a different enough way. I mean, there were a lot of characters. I mean, first off, from my money, or from my perspective, the novel has just more story because it's got yes. 260-ish pages, regardless of how dense they may or may not have been. A movie, I generally think, comes down to about the rough equivalent of content of about a prose page a minute, if you will. Okay, so a 120-minute uh, movie would be about a 120-page book. If you think about it, when you read the novel, you've usually had to add characters, subplots, a whole nother thing. Well, and quite frankly, that's why when I saw the elongated trailer and realized what was in the movie, I thought, you know what? This would make a really good novel. Mm -hmm. Because I realized the story had enough to it that it could support a novel. There are some movies that you go to and you come out and you say, yeah, I got it all and it was good. It was funny because I thought the novel added more. They used the character of uh, uh, the drill sergeant Farrell much better. Oh, I loved Farrell in the novel and in the movie, honestly. He had no redeeming qualities. No, I could have done without him. But just from a movie perspective, he was not a bad character. He was just a different character used minimally and in a very different way, whereas he got his time to shine in the novel. Because in the novel, he was the one that trains the lead character. Who, uh, what was his name in the novel? Uh, Kenji? Keiji? It's Japanese name. K-E-I-J-I? I yes, we'll go with that. I do believe you are correct. And in the novel, his nickname became Cage. Well, it, yeah, in the novel, his nickname became Cage. In the movie, his name actually was 
Will Cage, I think. Yeah, so that was a nice carryover. But the drill sergeant was used fundamentally differently. There were a lot of secondary characters. The the cook at the mess hall I doesn't even her. show up in the movie, and she was a great character in the novel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think she shows up a little in the um a the l- manga. Yeah, a little. But in the... a lot of her key scenes just aren't there. Mm. Um, and then the supporting cast around uh, the lead female character, who's just the uber warrior who had been stuck in this kind of a loop in the past. And again, that whole thing plays out very differently in the movie and in the, the, the manga well, and the book. One of the things that I really liked in the book was at one point, the lead guy has pretty much got... Because the loop isn't just 24 hours. It's about 30, I think it's, they say in the book. Yeah. And at one point, he realizes that up until he gets dropped into the battle, life is pretty much a routine. You get up, you have breakfast, you do this, you do that, you do the other thing. You go get this, so you can go get that, and he has this little barter system set up. Because one of the weapons only has 12, it's the pile driver. Yeah, in the, in the novel, they've got the, the mech suit, and it's got a pile driver that's got like 20 uses, that's, that's it. it. And, and who's going to last that long? Well, yeah, he, he is. You, you play the game enough times, you get good at certain weapons. You know, and what he realizes is he can't carry more ammo for that one weapon, basically. And the woman, uh, Rita, is gun axe. And so he's figured out, if I get this from this person, and I take it to that person, I can trade for an axe. Yeah. It's interesting because in the book and in the manga, which are, again, very... It's the same story. The manga just has a little less of it. It's very clearly an axe. Yes. Big, long thing with the little half-circle things at the end. In the movie, it's like a sword. Yes. And he doesn't get one in the movie. No, he does not. Um, and that, that's a shame because it, it I, I worked well it. in the manga and, and in the book. Yeah. And at one point in uh, in the book, he's saying, you know... The the enemy is called Mimics because they take on the shape of the first life form on Earth that they encountered. And he says, you know, they're mimicking basically our lowest life form. But I have learned to fight by watching some of our best. I'm mimicking them. Well, it's interesting going with the whole Mimics because in the novel, I thought they were poorly explained to begin with. Yes. It's just we're fighting these these things, we think they come from space. Oh, and then later we get the full backstory. The movie starts with that backstory. I think does a much better job kind of explaining that they encountered, what was it, uh, starfish and crabs, which is kind of how they became what they became. Because they look just unlike anything on Earth, particularly in the movie. So for them to be mimicking something, it's like, this doesn't make sense. But it's... It's good movie monster type stuff. It's also very much video game type stuff. Yeah. And, again, I like how they stayed true to their roots. But, again, how certain things play out in the movie, how certain things play out in the book, I can definitely see where the book was the inspiration and the basis for. Well, and uh, I saw a interview that Tom Cruise did, and the interviewer started the question with, I hear you like to run. And I saw that after the movie, and I thought, well, that explains why P.T. got changed to running. Ah. Uh. And drop and give me 50. Because in the book, P.T. is this Japanese exercise that's an isometric push-up. Yeah, the physical training they do, the P.T. they do, is a 
particular type of push-up to, to get you used to being in a particular position for a long time, because that's what those mech suits, apparently, you need to have. And also, in the novel, there was the concept of the auto-balancer. Yes. Where it kind of computer compensates to make sure you keep your center of gravity and all that stuff. And how, if you really want to fight, you got to turn that off, because it'll glitch. It's, it's not perfect. You know, it's it's like the it's it, like the camera in a video game, and how sometimes you move and it just spins out of control, and you're like, I can't see anything. Yeah, I thought that played again very well in the book, and was I think completely disregarded in the movie. I think the closest they came in the movie was when he refused to wear the helmet after a while because it was getting in his way and hindering him. I think that's as close as they got. I took that to just it, it films better, but you know, hey. It's it's one of those things that I, I plowed through the book really fast because it was a page turner. It was a good read. They set up a lot of things, and then when I saw the movie, you were talking about how the guy had a checklist for his day. Yes. Now the guy's day, you know, uh, Cage's day in the movie is very different because of how he starts, the position he's in, and a lot of the specifics. He can't do what the other guy was able to because he's just at a different starting point. He's very much behind the eight ball, but. How he gets out of the PT to go sneak off to go find Rita, to go get her to train him and all that stuff. We see a few iterations of the learning curve, if you will, mm -hmm. where it's like, okay, this happens, dies. Okay, he gets a little further, dies, gets a little further, dies. And plays with a, I've never made it this far concept. So there was a similar sense of humor in the book, but I felt it came out a lot better in that respect in the movie. When we were in the theater, when we first got there, nobody else was there. I'm glad for that, because we went to a 3D IMAX showing, but not a full IMAX. IMAX experience. experience. And it's basically experience what it would be like to have IMAX if it was a much shorter IMAX. So we sat in the middle of the theater, and I'm like, no, we're going to have our neck craning up the whole time. So we, we bought to, went back to like three rows from the back, had a much better view. I'm glad we got there early enough to do that. Yeah, um, the IMAX experience was not quite IMAX, is what it boiled down to. The 3D I enjoyed. The 3D was good. I think it was a bigger screen than normal, possibly by as much as twice. But, and while it felt like it did a decent job filling my vision, I could see the edges. Yeah. And in, in a few respects, it might have even been better than IMAX, because like when we saw Star Trek and a few others in IMAX, I've got to sit there and, like, move my entire head and body to go find... It's like, well, it's way over there. Now i got to go a quarter mile over to the bottom right screen to, to, to see that thing. And that is the difference between IMAX experience and IMAX. Is when you're at an IMAX and they put something in the bottom left or the bottom right to identify, you know, you're now on the Klingon homeworld or whatever. Or you have subtitles. To, yes. You have to turn your head. And this, there was no turning my head involved. I I'll concede that, definitely. Yeah, but it worked reasonably well for that. It, it worked was well. one that was worth seeing on the, the big screen, even though I've got here, now with the new projector I've got here at the house and the 3D and stuff, I mean, I've got full Blu-ray and all that, and I'll pick up the, the Blu-ray of this. It was a yes. fun movie. Well, but what intrigued me was by the time the movie started, maybe 10 other people had filed into the theater. I was surprised how many other people showed up. 10 to 18, somewhere in there. Yeah, for... And this was 7 p.m. on Wednesday? 7 p.m. on a Wednesday, uh, the week of opening? Uh, yeah. Now, I stress that well, because... Uh, yeah. I think it was the week of opening. This is a movie, and part of why I wanted to do the episode now is um, it's pretty much come and gone from the theaters. 
Yeah. It was in and out. I think they marketed it poorly, and I think Tom Cruise isn't as popular as he once was. Even when we were going in, the person taking the ticket said the only Tom Cruise movie worth seeing was Top Gun. The teenager yes. taking our ticket. Yes, yes. The the young little tiny teenager who, who was probably born. isn't old enough to have Yeah. Yes. yes. No Top Gun. Anyways. Yes. Um, I get Tom Cruise is not as popular as he once was, but having seen enough interviews with him behind the scenes of different movies on the DVD trailer, uh, DVDs he's done and such, I can see exactly what about the book intrigued him and made him say, I want to do this. Well, and I think out of those 10 or 18 people that were in the theater with us, I think I heard every one of them startled into laughter several times. It had some fun bits. And I knew from reading the book there was going to be some entertaining moments. Well, one of the key twists they made in the story is in the novel, Rita gets out of her loop essentially by having defeated the enemy once. In the book, in the, in the movie, I mean, she gets out of it because she was injured, got blood, and enough of a transfusion to kind of dilute the effect, and she's out of the loop. So, so she tells Cage... Don't get a blood transfusion. If, if you get hurt, get killed. Yes. Because otherwise you're just going to suffer. So as she's training him, and in the book it was Feral doing the training, not Rita. Anytime he's going up against these, you know, mechanized, you know, big swirly, you know, saw blades of doom or whatever. He gets like smacked up against the wall. It's like, I think I broke my back. She pulls out a gun. Bam! Next. And he's... He's getting really tired of this, because then he wakes back up, fresh at the thing, about to go into the the whole, you know, you've been shanghaied into the war, essentially. Well, and at one point, it's like, she's saying, you know, you look injured. No, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. It's just a flesh wound. It was funny. It played well. They cut the scenes at the right times, in the right ways, to where it didn't feel jumpy, and it felt like you were really seeing most of the, not most of the iterations, but the key iterations and the key parts of them. Well, and because someone woke him up very rudely by kicking what he was sleeping on and yelling at him. At one point, when they wanted to rapidly go through a few iterations, it's bang, kick, yell, bang, kick, yell, and people just started laughing. Tom Cruise must have been on that pile of duffel bags or wherever we first see him at the, the, the military base for a couple of days as they shot all of those scenes. Yeah. And they did a, a really good job on making it feel repetitive but not redundant and never... Because sometimes we've seen stuff like this and I felt they've almost wasted our time. Yeah. Now, the one movie I think did that kind of a time sequence thing just brilliantly was Looper. Mm. Where at one point, they kind of cycle through an entire timeline. And at first, I'm like, what just happened? But then at the end, they piece everything together. And it's, oh, got it. Boom. Brilliant. With this, I never got lost. I always could tell what was going on. We were following his adventure very well. And we got to see him go from a complete, I don't want to be here, I shouldn't be here, to I'm here, I'm dealing with it, and I'm now a military veteran. Because he spent more time in the war than probably anybody. Yeah. And in the book, they jump between his perspective for a lot, uh, Farrell's for a bit, Rita's for quite a bit. And in the movie, of course, it's all got to stay focused on him as it should. Uh, because I think it would have been jarring if it was it was done differently, like, again, like the book. Well, and in the book, in part because we get Rita's perspective, but in part because also because it's a longer story. 
his relationship with Rita is much more fleshed out. Yes. And I think people who go to the movie might feel that the movie forced a happily ever after onto the story or onto their relationship, not knowing that the book had that throughout. The book had that throughout, but I definitely think the movie put a Hollywood ending on it. Yes. And put a very different spin on the end. Because in, and again, major spoilers here, in the novel, she's dead. He's had to kill her to get out of the loop to win, do all that stuff. He's a military hero. In the movie, the whole thing happens such that he defeats the big Omega, which we never really saw that equivalent in the novel, but it's the central brain for the thing. He kills it, gets soaked in the blood, and gets a one-time shot back over 30 hours, just far enough to before he's gotten shanghai into the war. And of course, since they've defeated the Omega, the war's over. So he's literally never been in combat as far as everyone else is concerned. He's still the major, he's never met her, etc. He's never been in the doghouse. He gets to meet her on completely different terms. And the movie, I thought, ended actually at pretty much the right point, if you're going to go with that ending. And I don't know if they necessarily should have, but it worked. Where he first meets her, or she meets him for the first time, and he meets her for the last time. Yes and no. I mean, I loved how it ended. I just am torn about whether or not I wished for one more line of dialogue. I can see that. What I would have liked after that, he had gone to meet at the beginning of his his day at the movie, at the start of the movie, to meet the big general or whatever, the admiral, whatever, the guy in charge of the war, you know, who basically says, you're going to go film this. He says no. And he says, well, I'm arresting you. You're not going to go fight it. He doesn't just say no. He tries to blackmail the guy. Uh, That's I think a the little... guy had it coming. The guy was a jerk. The guy was a jerk, but blackmailing a senior officer is bound to get you some nasty repercussions. Being basically told by somebody who's ahead of another military organization than yours, I'm sending you to the front line. Good luck. I'd be a little upset, too. Yeah. But at the end, Cage could basically say, I know exactly what you would have done. You would have sent me to the wolves. I think he should have destroyed the guy. I mean, I could see a very good follow-up movie to that, but it's it's yes. not what the movie was. Well, in the book, there's a point very early on, before he's died the first time, where Rita is trying to distract him. And I'm, I understand the point of the conversation. I'm just not always sure I like what the conversation was about. But she asks him, is the green tea included? With the meal. Again, based in Japan, she's a foreigner. It's like, I've always heard at the end of the meal you get green tea. Is that included or do you have to pay for that? And she's just trying to kill some time as, as he's lying there and dying. Now, yeah. she was also upfront that it wasn't altruistic. She wanted to steal the battery from his, his suit. Yes. There was a scene where she steals the battery from his suit. It, I, thought, I don't remember if it was the first or second iteration, but early on. Yes. There were nice callbacks like that where they do... Some of the same events, but it plays differently. Yeah. And again, when does the story of the novel cease to be that story and become the story of the movie? And somewhere that certainly happened. Now, in some ways, I think the novel was far superior. In other ways, I thought the movie was far superior. Yeah, they each definitely had strong points. And in the novel... She says later that part of why she asked him that was because she wanted someone to come to her before the battle 
and tell her green tea is free with meals. So she would know this person is caught in a loop. Some way to identify the person now stuck in the situation she had escaped from. Yeah, and that's why I'm torn about I would have liked a final line in the movie of him saying, I know your middle name is Rose. Some way for Which was the equivalent kind of a secret there, yeah. Yeah. I think it would have been fun if instead of that line of dialogue, he had pulled out a rose. Yes. Because that would have been the romantic gesture. It would have been yes. all of this. It would have been great. Um, the manga, 96 pages of sequential art, I think was a faithful adaptation. But because it had limited space, it felt a little rushed in places. It felt a little abrupt in places. They obviously had to cut some stuff out. Again, that makes sense. I would like to have seen that creative team have had the time, the freedom to actually do the full adaptation. I think they're doing a volume two, and I'm curious what that will be. Well, it's interesting because this volume here covers the whole story. Yeah, which is part of why I'm curious. And I don't, I don't know that I would have done a volume two so much as a multi-volume unabridged. Mm. Well, for me, and going back to the I don't normally read graphic novels or comic books, either he didn't kill the antenna very blatantly when Rita was being attacked at the end of the first iteration, mm -hmm. or I missed it. Um, the cut between Rita sharing her backstory and her tech genius appearing at her door with the action figures was really abrupt for me. And they, again, they were things that I knew from the novel, so I knew what was happening. I think if I had read the manga without having read the novel, uh, I would have been lost. I think I would have, uh, not lost, I think I would have gotten the story they were trying to tell, but I don't think they fully succeeded in telling the story in the manga. Now, the thing the manga did that the novel didn't do was convey within the pages the, this was inspired by playing video games aspect. And that, in the novel, I got from the afterward. Yes. I think the visuals help a lot on that. It looks more video game than The visuals, and also convey. there were a few things in not the word bubbles, but the squares of narration. The captions. That, yeah. You really need to get this terminology down. That's just embarrassing. Uh, but the captions towards the end had enough video game terminology. Yeah. That it just kind of leapt out at me as a, oh, yeah. And because I knew, again, what I was encountering. I was like, ah, yeah, I get this. It was, it was good. I was surprised because after seeing the movie, it's like, I should pick this up. It's, um, published by, I, I thought it was Viz, but here I've got a, uh, Japanese company name on it. It may be that Viz has done a, uh, a re-release of this, but I couldn't get the Viz version through uh, through DCBS. They couldn't get it through Diamond. And this is, no, published by Viz Media. It's H-A-I-K-A-S-O-R-U. Uh, uh, Hikasuru, maybe. And for something that's that's based on a novel, this, this is a missed opportunity for Viz. They could have put a, another cover on it, made it look like Edge of Tomorrow, possibly even, you know, at least this is what it's based on, if not actually use the title. It, it just seemed like a little bit of a missed opportunity for them. I'm curious to see how that sells. It came out just a, a month or two back, I believe. Well, and Feral is used very well 
in the manga, just like in the novel, and had some good stuff about the samurai in both the novel and the manga. And I think that's part of why I really enjoyed the graphic novel. Yeah. I'm glad I read the graphic novel. If I had to skip one of the three versions I'd gotten, though, yeah, that was the most skippable, unfortunately. Yeah. And I'm curious how the original Japanese language version plays out, uh, both of the novel and of the, the manga. And frankly, I'm kind of curious how the Japanese translation of the movie plays. Because, I mean, somebody else's voice coming out of out of Tom Cruise, do they rename the character? I mean, what do they do? There are a lot of possibilities. And, I mean, it again, it goes back to, for me, if I was in a Japanese audience being told I'm watching an American movie based on a Japanese novel that's now set in Normandy, that would feel odd to me. Yeah. I... There were a lot of things where, again, they made some creative decisions in making the movie, and a lot of them, I think, kind of was making a Hollywoodish version of it. There are certain things that you've got to tweak the way the, the suits look to actually do them on screen. I get that. I didn't have any problem with that. They seemed a little unarmored, surprisingly, though, in the movie. Yeah, the... well, especially one guy seemed very exposed. Yes. But... Yeah, all of them seemed very vulnerable. The fact, well, they had no spare batteries, but since the batteries seemed to be stored on their backs, not sure how they would have put a spare battery on, even if they'd had one. Um, yeah. But, I mean, even saying how impractical the suits were, they looked pretty darn good on camera. They looked amazingly good on camera. I'm curious how much training they had to do to essentially walk in stilt suits. How many they built? I mean, part of why I want to get the Blu-rays for the behind-the-scenes making of, because some of this was clearly green screen type stuff, some of it was clearly not. Yeah. And it was... Well, and there was some really good, I almost want to say psychology of war stuff in there. I mean, there was a good understanding, especially from Rita, who was played by Emily Blunt, from her character of, I'm a soldier. This is why I'm here. This is what I do. I don't take the easy way out. I don't sit here and have my coffee with three sugars because you know if I walk out that door, I'm going to get killed. The coffee played out very differently in the the movie than the book. Yes. In the movie, they're at a farmhouse. He's getting her coffee with the sugars because he's never made it past that point in their adventures with her alive. Yeah. It's like, she's going to die. I don't want her to die, all that kind of stuff. Whereas in the novel and in the manga, I don't actually. I'm not even sure it's in the manga. In the novel, it's in the manga. Okay. Uh, the coffee is a rarity. She's the big elite American super soldier, so of course she's able to get some of the last coffee on Earth. And there's again the romantic aspects. Mm-hmm. It's a clear in the well, movie, you know, homage to to what was in the novel. And in fact, in the manga, they went a step further because in both the novel and the manga. Um, the tech assistant had been asked to give him her key mm-hmm. after the final battle to her quarters. And he realizes that after he's killed her and the court-martial has decided, oh, no, you weren't actually guilty of anything. You aren't responsible. And he's given this key. He finds he's inherited, basically, her team, her rank, her position, her everything. Yeah. And he gets to her quarters, discovering he's inherited that, too. And as he walks in, he discovers in the manga that she had even left her coffee maker on a timer set to make him coffee when he arrived. 
like she knew this would happen, and he in, doesn't know how. In the book, how. she clearly did. She had realized, because in, in the book... Well, in the book, the coffee had gone bad. You're right. But it, in the book, she knew one of them would die, and she thought it would be her. The mimics, though, work differently in the book than in the movie. Yes. In the book, you had the antenna, or you had... I forget exactly how it worked. It was basically the one you killed who would send the signal back. You've got to kill everyone else in the network, and then you can go forward or whatever. Mm-hmm. Whereas it's just the one you've got to go kill or whatever. Yeah, uh, and in, the, in movie, the movie, the mimics wanted his blood back, which was an interesting... I don't think they wanted it back. I think they just wanted to drain it. I think they knew uh. it was his blood that, that worked that way. But there was also a... They could send him visions. They could do other things. Some of this, I think, was just to move the, the plot forward to give them the, oh, we've been faked out and a few things like that, which I didn't think they needed in the novel. The novel, to me, the real turning point was when the aliens attack the base. Yes. Here the guy is, every day he's woken up for the last 160 or so, 150 whatever days. It's been the same. It's been the same. Everybody's sticking to script, they're following the motions, they're hitting their marks. And then one day he wakes up and the enemy has decided, no, no, we're attacking and throws everything into chaos. Well, and in the movie, they actually had a nice uh, callback to the everything's the same when two of the guys come looking for him. Two of the guys of J-Unit or J-Squad or whatever it was do that. J-Squad. I thought that was a callback also to the scene in the mess hall. It was. Where he seems like a rookie, yet he really knows how to fight, and he's toying with these guys. And the more seasoned veterans of combat can pick that up, and the others are just clueless. It's it's fun how seeing the same story elements get remixed and become something new yet the same. You know, the same and different at the same time. It's it's again, when does that story cease to be what it was and became what it became in the movie? And is the movie the same story as the novel? And on one level it is, on another level it very much is not. Well, in the movie, the mimics never seemed to be hunting Cage. They were playing with him with the visions. I disagree. When he takes the time in the bar in London. But he's not aware of it. He's not aware of it, but they were clearly coming after him. But he's never conscious of it. And in the book, he figures it out. Yes. Again, there were some differences. Yeah. And I, I liked the growing awareness and the figuring things out in the book. And the piecing it all together and learning through each iteration. But that's where the lead character was, I think, a little smarter and a lot more likable in the book than in the movie. And in the movie, some of the things had to change for the character just because Tom Cruise was the lead. Now, you had suggested at one point that um, the guy from Arrow... Stephen Amell. Stephen Amell would have been a good choice. And I think he would have nailed it. I think if they had kept Farrell the way he was in the novel... Mm-hmm. As someone who trained Cage and whose respect Cage earned iteration after iteration. Put Tom Cruise into that role of Feral, not yes. the Feral we saw on screen. And Stephen Amell, who on Arrow has proven that he can do those island scenes where he looks five years younger and he doesn't look as in shape, etc., etc., and have him start out that way at the beginning. But he's also proven he can look five years older, five years more mature, like he has the way of the world on his shoulders. He can be the goofball, he can be the serious warrior. Yes. And we got the reluctant, trying-to-get-out-of-it guy and the seasoned warrior. I mean, 
Cruz can do that arc too. I just think he's older enough that this this role was not out of his age range. He was pushing it. He was pushing it. And it played differently because he was old enough to be a major and stuff versus seeing a young Tom Cruise or, better yet, a Stephen Amell or some other car- uh, actors in the role. Yeah. Um, that was one of, I mean, the thing that, that, that got me in terms of choices for actors and stuff like that was I thought some of the best characters were bit players in the book that were just completely not in the movie. Mm-hmm. And, again, the, the cook at the, the base commissary. The uh, assistant the, for uh, for Rita, the yeah, tech assistant. The uh, tech weapons assistant for Rita who made the axe. And when Cage comes asking for one, and she says, basically, you're not the first one to come asking. That would have been such a great yeah. thing in the movie, too. It would have been easy enough to do. Yeah. And, again, I think there were... There were a couple of roles, a couple of possibilities. You just didn't have time in a two-hour movie. Yeah. So this is one where seeing it in the different formats was a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to getting, like I said, the Blu-ray, re-watching it there, seeing the behind the scenes, seeing if they kind of maybe have deleted scenes. Did they try to do some of what they didn't get into the final version? Did, did they not? You know, how hard was it to do some of the mech scenes and some of the footage? Definitely. How many retakes did they have to do? I mean, it was a technically impressive movie. I think a technically challenging movie. Um, but again, from what I know of Tom Cruise, the filmmaker and the, 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 the actor, I can definitely see how he would spend an evening reading the book saying, yeah, we're doing this. This is fun. Well, I really think Emily Blunt did a good job with Reed. Given- I think so. I think there are others who could have done as well or better, maybe. She was not as likable in the movie as I think she was in the novel. I don't think they gave the characters much material, though. Well, and I think the fact she kept shooting Cage and killing him. But that was just so damn funny. It was. It played well, but it doesn't make her a warm, cuddly kind of character. Oh, no, but she was not warm and cuddly in the novel, either. And in the novel, at the end, when he did kill her, and she becomes his reason for fighting. Mm Mm-hmm. And he expresses his love for her, etc. It really, they have a callback to that, I felt, in the farmhouse scene with the coffee and everything. Yes. You know, and she says, why am I different? Because I know you. I also think in the book, we got a better sense of her and her team as the elite warriors. We get a little of that just because we're, we're told that we're not shown that in the movie. And there were a couple of other places, particularly the way they launch with the backstory and stuff, where we get some early on exposition because, frankly, we need it to get the story rolling. Mm-hmm. Not a bad thing, but it, it made the characters seem a bit deeper, a bit more believable because we saw how some of that evolved, how it played out. They could do the, hang on, let me give you the backstory of this character to see how she got to where she's at. Yeah. You know, we never really got a whole lot of backstory other than what Rita tells us about herself in the movie. But again, you only have so much time. Yeah. So it was interesting, like I said, to, to read the and view the different formats. Um, I'm, I'm glad I got the manga. I think it was a very faithful adaptation, if not enough space. The book, though, um, as much as I really enjoyed the movie, uh, the book was probably the best version of the, the bunch. It was also not the original, but the translation of the original. Yeah, I I really enjoyed the novel. And, I mean, in the end, I came out feeling like I'd seen two 
different similar stories and I'm I'm glad I went for each. You know, I'm glad we saw the movie in the theater. Mm-hmm. You know, as much as, you know, we talk about your wall and how big it is. I think the theater experience was worth it. And I enjoyed seeing the other people around us get startled into laughter. That was kind of entertaining for me. Realizing that the rest of the audience who probably hadn't read the novel didn't realize there were going to be these laugh out loud moments in an action movie. Well, that's the thing is I think having both of us read the novel before going and seeing it in the theater we had a different experience than probably the rest of the theater goers with us because maybe some of them read the novel i doubt it and that's one of those cases where the movie i was watching was a little different than the movie they were watching because it's like wait i know who feral was in the book and he's not going to be that well he's used differently here oh i see oh wait he's uh, uh, cage has a very different backstory so i'm parsing the movie fundamentally differently and perceiving it as a result differently not better not worse but that's one where the baggage you take into a story determines what you get out of that well and one of my friends who has also seen the movie mentioned that for him there were a few places where the movie seemed to drag i said you know i wonder if that's those places where i had time to sit here and think okay so is this the point where this is going to happen because i know the next part in the book is this and I realized at the time I was having time to think that. I Instead never of, really felt like the movie dragged personally. I wasn't aware of it dragging. I was aware of myself having time to think instead of being caught up in the roller coaster of the movie. I guess to me that's good pacing where you're along for the ride, but you're able to kind of, hey, wait a second, think about it and be cog- not cognizant of the ride, but not just feeling like you're hanging on for dear life as the the roller coaster is just careening out of control. True. And that's part of why I liked that they threw in those moments of comedy. Mm -hmm. I like having that relief from the tension. It had a good balance. And again, uh, Tom Cruise as an executive producer and, you know, vision, movie visionary of that sort, um, I can definitely see where, where a lot of that came in. Mm-hmm. It, it I don't want to say has his thumbprint all over it, but it's the book has the right sensibilities to click with him. He was one of the right people to to bring this to fruition. Whether he should have starred in it or not, I think he did a fine job. I think there are others who could have done as well or better. Well, and that's the thing. I came out of the movie thinking I'm totally unsurprised. I just watched Tom Cruise in that. It's one of those things where it fits perfectly. Like, if you had a collection of Tom Cruise DVDs sitting in front of me, I'd say, yes, I'll fit that right in with all the other Tom Cruise DVDs. It fits in line. Ideal casting situation, if they could do it, and they can't, because it would involve real time travel. Um, If they could have done the movie more as, like, a four-hour thing, have enough time for the full story, cast a young Jackie Chan. Mm. Mm-hmm. Somebody who could do the I just I, I'm just a kid. What, I'm getting pushed around. I can't fight. You know, I, I stumble in the thing. The comedic pratfall type stuff at the beginning, and then the wow, this guy can really fight at the end. It could have been a very fun curve. It, I mean, in uh, uh, shoot, I forget which movie it was. First Contact. There's one of his films where he's like fighting in stilts. Mm. Fighting in the mech suit wouldn't have been a problem for him. Um, and it would have been a fun mix of, of physical action stunts, some of the computer imagery, you know, and effects and stuff like that. 
Um, but that was one where I think for Jackie Chan or even Tom Cruise to have been young enough to have really played the lead as in the book would have been a while ago, and the effects wouldn't have been there, and the book wouldn't have been there for that matter. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I mean, I, when I first read the book, I was expecting a, I don't want to say a purely by-the-numbers plot, but something very familiar. I think and, it's easy to reduce this to Groundhog's Day meets Pacific Rim. I think it's unfair and, and that, not accurate. That's what I was going to say. In the end, I felt like I got a lot more than I expected. It wasn't just your typical war movie. It wasn't just your typical time being relived movie. It had so much more than I went expecting. And that's part of why I want other people to check it out and enjoy it. I think it's a real shame that the movie seems to have come and gone in the theater so quickly. Yeah. And, well, when I first saw the uh, the box office returns for Thursday night, and they said how low it was, and then Friday they were reporting on the matinee results mm-hmm. because they were so low. Matinee results don't normally get reported. That's I'm why curious, I started worrying. I'm curious how this will do on uh, Blu-ray and DVD and such, and if it's something that gets uh, uh, more of its sales and life there. And it's doing well internationally. And it started internationally and then came to the U.S. a week later. Well, what's interesting is it was crushed by, what was the Disney movie? Uh, Maleficent? And no. then the Fault of Our Stars? Fault of Our Stars is the one that crushed it, I think. Yeah. That was in like 10 times as many theaters as uh, Edge of Tomorrow. Now, there's also Maleficent out, like you said. Uh, X-Men is still out. There are a lot of things in the theaters. X-Men, which hit theaters a month before it, I believe, give or take, three weeks, four weeks before it, and still in the theaters. And the fact that by the time it had been in the theaters 48 hours, I was already hearing it might not still be in theaters next week. Which is why we saw the Wednesday showing. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad was... we did. It was fun. But it was also, what, $31? Because it was $15.50 for the uh, 3D IMAX experience. Uh, so not cheap. But, uh, I mean, I'm going to pay less than that when I get the Blu-ray. It's funny. Which is part of why I wait for the Blu-rays. Yeah. Or the DVDs or whatever. Anything else we want to say, or is that a lot of it? I mean, to me, it's something that I think more people should check out. I think it's fun to be able to experience a story in multiple formats. Even if you don't read novels, it's a quick read, it's a fun read, it's a great read. Well, and I think the characters in the novel were wonderfully done. I think that several of the characters were better for me in the novel. The universe seemed more fleshed out. It did. The characters in the base, all that stuff, I felt like I got to know a lot better in the novel. And some of the things that the movie hinted at or seemed to take for granted, the novel made make sense. The movie, however, had the better action, made the mech suits a lot more tangible, believable. Um, Again, each different format has its own strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. The combination of them, a lot of fun. Seeing where the stories are the same and different, the characters had to get changed and and still kind of be who they were, even if the... I mean, the Tom Cruise character is very different than the one in the the book, but they're also identifiably the same on some levels. So again, where do you draw the line of is it the same story, is it not? To me, that's just... It's fascinating. It's fun. Um, I definitely think people should check it out. The uh, the manga is um, fourteen ninety nine. It's uh, ninety six pages. I think 
you're better off getting the novel at half the price. Yeah. You get the full story. Um, it was a good manga. It just it, it didn't have the space it needed. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I would definitely recommend both the novel and the movie. If you enjoyed Pacific Rim, I think you'll enjoy the movie. Yeah. If you like the concept. And it's not actual time travel, time travel. He's getting the memories from the future. So uh, arguably it's semantics at that point, too. Yeah. Um, well, and I really enjoyed the description I saw that was saying, you know, what if the way most of us play video games was the way a real-life soldier experienced a war? And they captured that experience beautifully, both in the novel, the manga, and the, the movie. Yeah, and it it's something that makes you stop and think, and I, yeah, I think the movie really excelled at that, especially I know a lot of gamers who've at least mentally, if not physically, mapped out. Here's what you have to do where, and here's how things are laid out. And they did that beautifully I've in the movie. I've got a co-worker who's a big gamer, and I think he would just love this film for that very reason. It's it's the, I haven't gotten this far. Oh, wait, I have. I know how to do this. i got to do this, this, that. Boom. Oh, now what? You know, that it resonates with a certain part of our culture, I think. Yeah. I think it was very, I think the movie was very well done, and I would not have discovered the novel without it. Yeah. So for that, I'm grateful to the movie. Well, and if they do another manga adaptation where maybe they can spend a little more space and stuff on it, I'd be curious about that. Uh, particularly if they do another volume. Is it going to be Tales in this world or something else? Yeah, I am curious what volume two would be. I just spotted that on Amazon recently. We should uh, check out the Viz booth at uh, Comic-Con. Definitely. Anything else? Does that pretty much do it? I think that's it for this one. Cool. The show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.